to have, to hold, to rub that booty. Sexy sex song. It's so hard to say goodbye. And I, of course, I can't do it now. Or just, no, but, you're right. nailing it. <laughs> McCary could never. Hello, and welcome to the Untitled Gen X podcast, a podcast dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Lori, a writer and pop culture lover who's delighted to welcome broadcast veteran Aaron Bender to do a little East Coast swing as we sing the praises of Boys to Men's 1991 breakout album, Cooley High Harmony. But before we get into the hip hop doo-wop of it all, I'd like to tell you a little about the man behind the famous voice in his own words. Aaron Bender is a widowed dad of two girls, a grieving husband, a man in recovery, trying to reconnect with the world with fresh eyes, faith, and perspective. He's also a college journalism professor, host of the Aaron Bender podcast, and my friend for over 30 years. Okay, I added that last part. (laughs) (laughs) I should put that in my bio. I should totally just put that in my bio. friend for over 30 (laughs) years. I got goosebumps reading that because I've never heard somebody else read that. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, no one can say it better than you. So I I just (laughs) blatantly stole your word. So I hope you don't mind. So welcome to the podcast, Aaron. I'm so happy you're here. Why did I just get goosebumps and cold sweats and like like, uh, sweaty palms all at the same time? I'm so excited. It's so great to see you. It's so great to see you too. And I mean, we have, we've known each other a really long time. <laughs> you said 30 years. Over 30 years. It's over. It's like 32 or three. You know, it's a lifetime actually. And I was trying to think like, when did I first meet Aaron freaking Bender? When did I first meet him? And I don't remember. Uh, maybe seventh or eighth grade. Yeah. I know we all kind of gelled like the six or seven of us gelled in freshman year of high school, but I, I, I want to say we've known each other, you know, two or three years longer than that. Well, I have to correct you, my friend. Uh-oh. We were known, we called ourselves such dorks. Oh, no. We, we called ourselves the eight. There were eight of us. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. Oh, that's right. <laughs> like who names that? We're the eight. So it was, it was me, Jordan, Alan, Kevin, you... Jeanette, Gwen, and there was Shay. 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 And sometimes Tambin was there. And yes. Yes. And I remember being, you know, freshmen and we would walk the streets, you know, of Covina <laughs> and we would go and we would get snacks <laughs> and we would go to people's houses. And I remember going to your house. I have a very distinct memory of us hanging around listening to CNC Music Factory. Gonna make you sweat. Gotta it, it, make you sweat. And and to be honest, there was discussion prior to this. Should we go boys to men? Should we go CNC Music Factory? Should we go crisscross? Oh, so you have always been a fan of like rap, R and B, hip hop. Yes. I remember that yes. so clearly. And so when you chose boys to men, I was like. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like, yes. 100. There was also in vogue. We could also, we, we could do never go to get it. Never go to get it. Oh, so good. <laughs> so good. You, you were not in band I uh, to, to witness this. And I'm kind of glad at this point because that <laughs> might've been the memory that you take with you. But uh, I would, we, we would play, somebody would take a boom box. Most, most often me okay. would take a boom box onto the band bus to competitions and to away games for high school football or whatever. And we would put on in vogue, never going to get it. And in the middle of that song, I think it's Don Robinson, one of the, you know, one, one of the like feature faces and voices of in Vogue uh-huh. would, whoa, 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 whoa. And yes. I would stand up in the middle of the bus and do that oh while I turned God. down the volume so you can only hear me do it. Oh yeah. man, yeah. Aaron, <laughs> this one time at band camp. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, it's so good. So tell me a little about your history with Boys to Men and how you came to know and love this album. So what's interesting is as I'm doing research on this, because, you know, again, we're going back 30 years. It was released 1991. This is the 30th yes. anniversary mm-hmm. year of that uh, breakthrough album. And I say breakthrough because 
you know, watching shows on it now, they ushered in the era of NSYNC and the era of Backstreet Boys and mm -hmm. 98 Degrees and, and, and such. They made it cool again to be a boy band. Yes. And, and I don't know what it was about that album, but it just clicked. It just, every, everything about it, I'm like, who, who are these guys? Who are these guys? And they were, you know, discovered and or signed by Michael Bivens yes. of Belle Biv DeVoe. And of course, with their popularity, anything they touched at that point turned to gold. And sure. in this case, multi-platinum. Mm -hmm. And to watch the video for for a Motown Philly, their first first single off that album and, and to see, you know, ABC, yep. which was uh, a, like a, a kid version yep. of, of boys to yep. men and to see Belle Biv DeVoe in there. It's like, Oh, it's like a crossover. It's like when we watch TV. Yes. Everyone loves a crossover. Yes. Yes, exactly. And, and so that's kind of how it felt was it's like, okay. And at that time you had um, gangster rap was huge. Yep. You had Dr. Dre and mm -hmm. Snoop. And this was just, something so different for that time that it just clicked with us. And it felt so joyful. It felt almost magical, like a lightning in a bottle moment. You know, my son is really into rap and he surprisingly didn't really know about boys men. I'm like, you need to sit down. You need to watch this video. You need an education. <laughs> so we watched Motown Philly and he just, he was like, wow. And yeah. I'm like, that's it. I mean, I, that's how I felt the first time I heard it too. I was like, who are these Got This is some kind of magic right here. And and that's the end of our freshman year in high school. Right. And I don't know what it was. It just kind of just felt like the right time for that sound. Agreed. It was so catchy. And it was that throwback with the harmonies too, to an older sound of like, you know, the OJs yeah, and it felt familiar, but yet fresh and new and yeah. modern in a way that you haven't really heard before. I mean, obviously inspired in big part by Belle Biv DeVoe and uh, New Edition. And yes. so, I mean, I was a big fan of New Edition growing up. Were you? Oh God, who, who wouldn't be? I mean, who wouldn't uh, be? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was great. And I, I mean, I could still remember you bring up the harmony part and like I would, it was me, Jordan and Alan, and we each took a part. I know there are four members of boys to men, at least then. Right now, now there's three, yeah. right? And what we can, we can get into all of that. Oh yeah. Kinda. And we will. Let's sip and spill that tea. Okay. <laughs> there's a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> but I took the parts of Michael McCrary bass. No, as course. well as Sean Slim Stockman, because at the time in high school, my voice could fluctuate between the high. I, I don't know if he's uh, alto or surprise. I, I don't know what Sean Stockman, you know, the, but he was the higher pitched of the group. And but I could also do the he bass. He was a tenor. He's a tenor. He was a tenor. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh well. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah I've I've got yes. notes. I did some <laughs> research, Eric. So, but but he could hit those high notes, and Michael McCrary was the bass, so I could do both of those parts, and Jordan could do Wanye because quite frankly, he looked like Wanye and he <laughs> loved to, you know, he loved that. And he was the kind of the lead singer guy. Right. And uh, Alan, uh, because he wore glasses was Nate. Of course yeah. it all fits. Yeah. You know, I have to say like you taking the McCary, you know, bass <laughs> voice of this Aaron, <laughs> let's just take a moment, mad respect for your radio voice because I don't remember you having this voice in high school <laughs> when my husband was like, oh yeah, I listen to Aaron on the radio all the time. And I was like, oh, you do? Okay. Let me tune in. Was like, that is not Aaron Bender. Like that's not Aaron Bender. I remember I was good friends with Aaron Bender. Who is this man with this voice? I remember, and, and I'm not going to say it was this voice forever because of course in high school that it, it right, wasn't this, right. but it started changing. You remember, uh, you might've actually been, did you go to New York city after eighth grade? I did. Okay. So Beth was also there, the biggest crush on Beth. And oh, I was cute. like, I'm totally going to, and I've told her this, I I'm totally going to ask her out. Like, like, Hey, when we get back to, you know, get back home, can we go out or something like that? And the, the, 
you know, let's say it's a six day trip. By okay. day four, I had worked up the nerves to finally ask her. Okay. And when I did, it was the very day that my voice was changing. Like what? Like it was crying. Like, Beth, you want to go home when we get back home? Okay, let's do oh, it. Oh man! And what did and, she say? Uh, well, well, of course she said no. I mean, <laughs> and she 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 saved herself, which was great. Which was great. But uh, but that was that was the day that I, that always, I always say the that day. between eighth and ninth grade. That was the day that it uh, that it started changing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But but I, I can remember clearly and we can get into the, the track listings uh, a little bit later. But there's this one song called Ooh Ah. Ooh and ah. Ah. Yeah. Uh. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know uh, how uh. they got Ooh Ah, but it's it's spelled U-H-H. A H H. Yes, yeah. the third single. Mm -hmm. And and there is in that song, uh, Michael McCurry bass saying to have, to hold, <laughs> to rub that booty, and and that was my favorite part. That was my favorite part of the whole song. In my notes about that song, okay, it was the third <laughs> single. Uh, I wrote, "Amazing harmonious countdown." Like that countdown. Oh. Wow. Right. And then I wrote. Before auto-tune. Right. Before oh any of it. Incredible. Then I wrote. <laughs> I can't believe I wrote this. So <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I don't even know if I could say it. I wrote. Sexy sex song. <laughs> that was my note. <laughs> it's a sexy sex song. It is. It is. At, at, a, at a time, I mean. You know, what? what is it, 1991? I'm 14 years old. I should not be singing no. about what they're singing about. No. But it was, it was all, it was, all it was, yeah. It was just, okay, we're going to put this track on now and we're going to have the sex. <laughs> we're going to have the sex. And yeah. that's what that is. It's a sexy sex song. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So funny. Okay. <sighs> so I thought we should talk a little bit about the history of the band before we dive into the album. Yes. You you are the researcher. You are the I I I will defer to you, uh, <laughs> Madam Writer and researcher. Okay, thank you very much. I will just I will I will just provide color commentary as <laughs> okay, you go play. I by appreciate play. that. It, it's much needed, actually. <laughs> so in 1985, Nathan Morris and Mark Nelson started a group called Unique Attraction, mm -hmm. and they started this in high school at the Philadelphia High School for the Creative and Performing Arts. And they started this group with three other classmates. So there were five of them. And then Wanye Morris joined the group in 87. So he was a fellow student there. And it was one of those things where it was like people were leaving the group after graduation. Some people lost interest, you know, kind of one of those things. And then Sean Stockman was recruited to join after they saw him perform a solo in choir. And they were like, oh, my God, we need that guy. So, yep. of course, all these kids were in choir, too. So, you know, they loved singing. They loved performing. They used to practice their harmonies in the school bathroom because the acoustics were really good. And one day, Michael McCary, a student, began singing along with them. He walked by. He heard them. He started singing. And he was offered a spot as their bass singer. God, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about doing the same thing with my friends to Motown Phil or, or yeah, to Motown. So did you guys have a, have a name for your group? Were you no. going to be the next big thing? No, I don't. No, 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 definitely not. No. We were just boys to men want to be liked, you know, uh, that, that, that yes, kind of thing. Yes. We did refer to ourselves because, uh, Jordan is black. Alan is Chinese Filipino as, uh, and I'm white, uh, United Nations. We were the United Nations. The United. I love yes. it. Good yes. call. But, yes. But I don't know that we necessarily ever were like, all right, this is our <laughs> band name. We're going to be big stars. <laughs> yes. I don't think any of us ever thought we would even, <laughs> we, we could even, I know, you know what? We never did this boys to men thing in front of anybody like like that was you like you didn't you never performed at no, a bar mitzvah we never performed you... <laughs> but you know what we did what there was a halloween party when crisscross was huge okay and uh we performed because we would do the crisscross thing at home too okay uh we performed warm it up chris warm uh, it up, yeah chris. warm it up warm it up okay and we got such a reception 
that we decided to come back the next year and do another song from their next album called Da Bomb, which featured a little-known artist at the time, Da Brat. Da Brat! Yes, who uh, we asked Ludwig Manukian to perform her part, not realizing that it was a woman, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't but matter. We recruited, and uh, so that's the only time that we ever perform live. By the way, it was a complete flop. Wow. And he's an actor now. He is, Look, yeah. He's, yes. He's the hot dog guy in the Liberty Mutual commercials. He's phenomenal, and he's married to another one of our classmates. Yes, Amy Garrett. Yeah, Amy Garrett, who is also an actress. Yes. We were a very talented bunch. I just have to say, you know, I don't mean to brag. Yeah, I mean to brag. Uh, we did not go to a performing arts <laughs> high school, but you know say, what? We, we should have been. It was totally fame over there. What was happening in the San Gabriel Valley? I don't know. I don't know, but something in the something in the water. We've got rock stars in our uh, in our midst. One hundred percent. The alumni and everything. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 we went to school with Lindsay Price. Lindsay Price, uh, actress. the actress. Yeah. Yes. Oh, it's good times. Totally. And so, unique attraction. They drew their inspiration from like the Jackson Five, New Edition, and they ended up even changing their name to Boys to Men after the new edition song, Boys to Men, from their 1988 album, Heartbreak. So the group performed everywhere they could. They performed at school, they performed on the streets, and their big break came when they snuck into a radio station concert and tracked down Michael Bivens, as you said, of New Edition. And he had just formed Belle Biv DeVoe with fellow New Edition members, Rick Bell and Ronnie DeVoe. So the boys to men sang new additions. Can you stand the rain for Bivens? And he was so impressed that he told them, okay, you guys, you guys are really good. Why don't you give me a call? Well, Nathan <laughs> Morris took that shit real seriously. He <laughs> called Bivens every single day for weeks, trying to convince him to take on boys to men as their protégés. And Bivens said in the VH1 documentary, this is pop. He saw something in me I didn't even see in myself. So he eventually agreed to manage and help produce them. And Bivens said, if it wasn't for Nate Morris, I would have never become a music executive. I love that. I love that. I mean, he's been involved with some incredible artists. Bivens is really a visionary. Yeah. And and I think also it's it's takes sometimes just taking that leap, whether sure. it's leap of faith in yourself or somebody else that uh, you say, you know what, if, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But obviously it totally worked. Oh, it totally worked. Because Belle Biv DeVoe is not, in, you know, performing in Vegas. New Edition is not performing in Vegas. Boys right. to Men are performing in Vegas 30 years later. In a huge residency that spanned many, many years. So yeah, yeah it's incredible. So the founding member, uh, Mark Nelson, ended up leaving the group before Boys to Men's first album. It took like two years to get that album off the ground. And I think he was frustrated and he wanted things to move faster than they did. I think he actually embarked on a solo career. And what was left was the quartet that we all you know, were introduced to in their debut album. And that was comprised of Michael McCary, bass, Nathan yes. Morris, baritone, Wanye Morris, tenor, and Sean Stockman tenor. Now, Boys to Men were different than other R&B groups in that all four of them were lead vocalists. I was just going to say, like, it was so fun trying to figure out all those tracks. Like, okay, who's the lead on this? Who's the lead? And, you know, they just shared so completely that it wasn't like other R&B groups of the time where there was, you know, one or two lead singers and the rest provided yeah. background vocals, they all took turns being center stage. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And, and that's what I think my friends and I really appreciated because it wasn't like, okay, I'm the lead. You guys are my backups. Let's go. <laughs> right. Right. Like, no, no, this is totally just, you know, it's, it, it took us a while to figure out, okay, this is a Wanye song, go ahead. Or this is, you know, a, ah, a, a, yes. a slim song or a Nate song. Right. It was so fun to just try to figure that out. Aaron Bender wasn't trying to be the Beyonce. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I was not. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm just looking at these tracks. I, <laughs> this is so good. It's so good, right? So <laughs> like you said, the album was released by Motown Records on April 30th, 1991. And Cooley High Harmony debuted at 
58, number 58 on the Billboard Top 200 and ended up ultimately peaking at number three. Legend has it that the album's name pays homage to Cooley Vocational High School in Chicago. Let's talk about the tracks on this. First off, I think we can just skip one, two, and three. Please don't go Lonely Heart, This Is My Heart. They're fine. They're good. They're average, you know, run-of-the-mill tracks. They're they're good R&B. Please Don't Go was, was released as a single. Do you want to know my note for that song? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. My note for Please Don't Go. Sexy, sorry song. Yes, it's a sexy, sorry song. <laughs> okay. But it was it was the last one, and I I don't know why they released it as a single, other than to be like, hey, by the way, we're still here because it was like a it was eleven months after the mm. album release. Okay, and I think they were just kind of hanging on. I I really did it, it just to try to grab what they could from that album, just squeeze the juice, yeah. you know, and and maybe also because they knew the Boomerang soundtrack was coming out. Right. With End of the Road, which most people associate with this album, but no. It was not no. on the original release. Like, we're going to cheat and talk about it because yeah. it was included in the 1993 reissue of Cooley High yes. Harmony. Yes. Uh, but no, it was not part of this original track list yeah. for this album. Let's talk about Motown Philly because it was the debut single. Let's start there. Let's do it. Okay. So it peaked at number three on the Billboard Hot 100. And this song was actually written by the band along with Bivens and Bivens is rapping on the song. He's cool. He's actually in it. So it's, it's really fun. Cool. And he's in the video. And so the video was actually directed by Lionel C. Martin, who directed Motown Philly. It's so hard to say goodbye and end of the road. He did all three videos that we're going to talk about. And he's also directed videos for Jodeci. Usher, Belle Biv DeVoe, Another Bad Creation, Bobby Brown, Tupac, NSYNC. He's wow, the man. Yeah. yeah. For the video, we open on a photo album titled East Coast Family. Oh, it's so good. So it's... good. We see our beloved boys to men standing around a lit birthday cake, and they're wearing their jeans and denim shirts, ties, and red blazers. Now, did you know the boys always dress the same because according to McCary, quote, it shows unity. Nobody sticks out or stands out more than the other. I didn't know that particular one, but I, I, they touched on something. They, they, they really did. I mean, that signature preppy style. What were your thoughts on that? Did you ever emulate that in any way? Oh, did you, I, you know, I tried. That look was so cool. Okay, <laughs> no, you tell know, me about I tried. It. I never. I don't think I ever owned a cardigan by choice prior <laughs> to uh, seeing Boys to Men. They pulled it off. It was good. I, I don't know that I could have ever thought, uh, okay, cardigan and jeans. Because you think you think cardigan, you think, okay, slacks, I'm going to church, I'm going, you know, someplace fancy or whatever. I like have that. hard candies in my pocket. <laughs> yes. I've got to switch shoes when I get home. <laughs> right. But it, it was just so clean and fresh looking. And really, I mean, it was cute. It was cute, but yet. It wasn't hyper-masculine, but yet at the same time, it was some flair. Like, it yeah. was some real yeah. style. I appreciated it. And some of the looks, I was kind of laughing. Like, in one of the videos, was it this video? I don't know. There's, like, a whole nautical look where they're wearing, like, you know, primary colors. Each one of them is wearing yes. a different color with the yes. striped shirts around a boat. And it's all, it looks like, <laughs> like an ad for, you know, Nautica. And yeah. it's a little hokey, but at the same time, like, I'm into it. Yeah. Like I'm into the bow tie. Yeah. Yes to the bow tie. I don't know. It works. Yeah. It, it, and it, like you said, it kind of throw back to the, the temptations and the yes. OJs, you know, they all dress alike because, you know, they, they, Hey, we're, we're all part of one group, you know? Exactly. And they, you know, decided to coin the phrase of the hip hop doo-wop style. So that's what we see here. And, and it's so evident in Motown Philly. So, I mean, the music just, it explodes with energy. There's dancing and jumping and harmony. And it's just so cool on this song as their debut single to see them hanging out in Philly. You yes. know, like this yes. is their hometown outside Geno's Stakes in a Temple University dorm room or what is meant to be, uh, you know, hanging out on the streets in front of their old school. It's just really cool to see them in their territory on their turf. 
and we tried to emulate the choreography as best we could. There were many moves, as good as they were harmonizers, I felt like they were also great dancers. I thought so too. Just all of it. It's just total package. We we cannot dance like that. We we just couldn't. So we took the different moves that we could do and we we just re, we just kept repeating them over and over <laughs> and over again whenever it we weren't singing. It still looked cool. Yeah, you know, yeah. you told me somewhere in the archives you have video of this, Aaron. Yes, yes. I have already contacted my mother who keeps everything. And uh, I said, hey, can you find this VHS of uh, the guys and I dancing to boys to men? I would love to share that on our Instagram. Oh, it would be totally gold. Will. It will happen. If if that VHS has survived, it just physically survived. It hasn't flaked away. Uh, it will absolutely be on the gram. Yes. Do not Aaron has a that. whole Kid 90 stash yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we're we're going to break it out. So in the video, we see a caption float across the screen and it says, coming soon, the Alexander Palera. And I'm like, what's that? So I, apparently- I still don't know what that is. Okay. So I Googled it and all I found was that on the liner notes for the album, and I know that you know this, each member sported a nickname. So Wanye was Squirt. Yep. John was Slim. Michael was bass and Nathan was Alexander Vanderpool and Alexander oh. Vanderpool was based on a character on the soap opera, all my children. And he was a character that had like sort of nerdy preppy style. Wow. Yeah. Look at that research. I, mean, I love it. You know, we try. So yes. So in the video, we also see like Bivens, reading a newspaper on the toilet. <laughs> yeah, I don't well, he, Yeah, I, I don't know. While the band is performing out, it's very weird. <laughs> but, um, you know, he guest raps. And um, we also see Philadelphia High School for Creative and Performing Arts alumni, Black Thought and Questlove of the Roots. They make a cameo. Oh, I didn't know that they went to the... Oh, that is so cool. Yes. And we see another bad creation. We see yep. a sudden it impact. That was an R&B group organized by Bivens. They didn't really go anywhere. No, yeah, no. but they're featured in the video. And and then, you know, we see the photo album close at the end of the song. And this video has been viewed over 10 million times on YouTube. Well, the album went nine times platinum. Amazing. And I'm really surprised that uh, Motown Philly peaked at only number three. But, right. you know, that's that's my bias. Yeah. It just blows me away every time I hear it. And I have listened to that song many, many times. Prior to that, I had never heard harmony like that. I would have to go back and look at when, like, Color Me Bad, uh, right. when they made their debut. Because I, I think, you know, they're in that boys to men circle. Right. The sexy sex songs. Yeah, yeah. the sexy sex songs. <laughs> well, <laughs> I want to sex you up. I mean, there, there's no other sexy sex song. There you go. Really, but also shy. You remember shy? I do. And if I ever fall. You know, I they, remember They that. brought in that without Boys to Men, you don't have a shy who does a complete acapella pop song. To this day, the, the fact that it holds up as well as it does is a true yeah. testament to how fantastic this album and particularly this single is. And they won the 1992 Grammy for Best R&B Performance by a duo or group with vocals. They were also nominated for Best New Artist, but they lost. So. Boo. Boo. Do you know who won? You know what? I read it Let's and see. I didn't write it down. Best New Artist. 1992 uh, Grammy. Grammy. 1992 the best new artist that year was Arrested Development. Tennessee. And and I, I could go through that album the same way that I could go through Cooley High Harmony. It was a really cool album. It was, at the time for me, unlike anything I had heard. Maybe that sound wasn't so new to you because you were you were like deep oh, in. Oh no, it totally was though. Because going into that, it's again, it's all about gangster rap. It's all yep. about hardcore. You know, N.W.A. and Dr. Dre and right. Snoop and Ice Cube, and then here comes Arrested Development with this conscious rap. You've got Mr. Wendell, a rap about a homeless person. Yep. You know, I mean, here we are in twenty twenty one. That single could come out today and be just as relevant. 
Absolutely. And I understand we've got a couple of white people talking about Arrested Development rap. We yeah. totally get that. Okay. <laughs> it, it, I'm wearing that. Okay. Right. I'm totally wearing that. I'm also uh, sad that I don't still have my t-shirt that I made, that I had made in San Dimas at an airbrush store when that was new and very expensive. I had on the uh, the left breast area of that t-shirt, Speech, which is the lead singer of Arrested yes. Development. And on the back... Are you doing as much as you can for the struggle, which was there? Wow! Yeah. And did you wear that proudly or what? Um, oh, absolutely! This is me. I, I wore it under my Jinko jacket. <laughs> <laughs> yes. My bright purple Jinko jacket. <laughs> Love it. So that's who they lost out to, and I can't be mad at that. But I'm yeah. actually really surprised. So great. Okay, so I thought we would touch on it's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday next yes. because. That peaked at number two on the Billboard Hot 100, and the song was actually a cover. Did you know that? I didn't know that at the time. Yeah. I was I was shocked. I don't know, weeks or months or whatever after that came out. I was shocked to learn that that was a cover. And it was written by husband and wife songwriting team Freddie Perrin and Christine Yarian for the 1975 film Cooley High. What? Mm-hmm. And this songwriting team also wrote the Gloria Gaynor hit, I Will Survive. The video, again, was directed by Lionel C. Martin. The video opens with a dedication to MC Trouble, a.k.a. Latasha Rogers. She died on June 4th, 1991, and MC Trouble was the first female rap artist signed to Motown Records. She was born with epilepsy and she tragically passed away in her sleep at the age mm. of 20. I didn't know MC, MC Trouble prior to yeah. that dedication. Me neither. So we see the boys solemnly singing in a house and then outside at a burial. And we then see them in a room with a TV that's showing images of people we've lost, like Sammy Davis Jr., Nat King Cole, Gilda Radner, Jim really Henson. Yes, it's a great video. And Twice we see them pour one out. Oh, yeah, uh, pour a little out for my homies. Yep, in uh, reverence to their lost loved one. And did you know this practice is actually a ritual that comes from ancient Egypt? I did not know that. Yeah, I was like, what is the history of pouring one out? I need to know this. Yeah, so the practice is called making a libation, and water was typically poured out as an offering to the deceased out of respect. Hmm. The more you know, you guys. I don't think I had seen that prior to that video, that practice. I hadn't either. The YouTube video has been viewed more than 5 million times. And the comment section is what really got me. The comment section has become this really beautiful place where people come to grieve and honor their lost loved ones. Really? Yes. So there's like beautiful personal tributes written there to lost sons and daughters, best friends, mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, pets, celebrities. If your heart can handle it, you guys go and check out the comment section of this video. It's just this like sort of communal place that people come together to share in their grief and pay tribute. So what are your thoughts on this song? I just, I remember doing my best to, because, uh, because that was all uh, acapella. If I remember correctly, it was, mm-hmm. there, there's no, there's no accompanying instruments or anything like that. It's so hard to say goodbye. And I, of course I can't do it now. Or just, no, but, right. nailing it. <laughs> McCary could never. Oh, I'm sure. I, I did not see myself as a 14-year-old singing a love ballad. And there and there I was. It was heavy, and I didn't get it at the time. I just thought it was right. just this like nice, sensitive little bop and and whatever. And now in middle age, when you listen to this and you've you've lived some life, it, it, it hits totally different. And I specifically did not listen to this song prior to this episode because I knew I was just gonna ball. Well, I was uh, yeah, absolutely going to ball. So I'm good with that. But you're right. I I certainly at 14, 15 years old did not grasp the 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 depth of this song. Right. Okay. That brings us to end of the road. Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna sneak this in here. We're gonna sneak it in. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know it was not released. 
as part of the original album. Like we said, it was actually released on June 30th, 1992 on the Boomerang soundtrack. But when Cooley High Harmony was reissued in 93, they added it because it was so successful. So it was a huge single in its own right. The song was co-written and produced by Kenneth Babyface Edmonds and became the boy's biggest hit, reaching number one in the Billboard Hot 100. Again, sexy sex song. They knew where their bread was buttered. They really did. <laughs> they leaned in hard and, and we all bought it. We were like, yes, this, this is what it's all about. Yeah. The video. <laughs> we see a couple breaking up and Sean, I just wrote Sean, sexy voice. <laughs> I don't know. My notes are trash. Sean, sexy voice. Uh, we see a woman take off her ring and give it back to a guy. And, mm-hmm. and here's where we see the nautical wear and the primary colors. Yes. And Wanye down on his knees, passionately singing. You know what? Moment of respect for Wanye. I mean, they all have incredible voices, but God, his voice gets me. If there was... Damn. Out of all of them, a front man, it totally would be him because he just owns it. There is not one part where he doesn't walk out three steps in front of the other guys and just wail. He wails and he nails it. And and I just, I believe it. I believe it. He's so like, I don't know. The so other, much honestly, the other three are just so chill and cool. I guess you know, that's the, what it the is. Alex Vanderpool, you yes. know, they're like, oh, I'm just so chill. I'm cool. I'm just I'm cool. McCary with his spoken word. Yep. Yeah, they're just so chill. And, and here's Wanye. He's like, I'm in my feelings, you guys. Yes. Oh, he's totally in his feels. Oh, my God. He's I love all it. All in his feels. Although we've come <laughs> to the end of the road, the snaps. still I can't let you go. You know, I have to tell you, Aaron, this is probably going to be in the intro to the episode. Just like FYI. <laughs> Promo. That's that. Mark the tape. Yep. In this video, we're now at the beach and we see McCary sitting on that rock and he does the spoken word part of this. And I, I want to break this down with you because I, I have thoughts. Okay. Okay. You could say this better than me with your low bass voice. Okay. I'm getting into the road lyrics here. Okay. I, I need you to start with girl. I'm here for you. <laughs> We need to break this down because this is red flaggy all over the place. I have feelings about this and the dynamic of their relationship. We need to talk about it. It's been bothering me for years. This is finally my opportunity. Boys to men, I hope you're listening to this. Girl, I'm here for you. All those times at night when you just hurt me and just ran out with that other fella. Baby, I knew about it. I just didn't care. And he says, like, I'm not about to go out and cheat on you just like you did, baby. But that's all right. right. I love you anyway. And I'm going to be here for you until my dying day. And he's saying, like, please come back to me. Please come back. Right now, I'm just in so much pain, baby, because you just won't come back to me. (laughs) Will you just Just come come back back to me? me. (laughs) That's like the out of I'm getting goosebumps again out of all of the songs. That is probably the loudest and most passionate that we ever hear bass. Because usually he's just he's just kind of chilling in the background. He right. might have, you know, uh, like in this case, a spoken word part or whatever. But this, will you just come back to me? <laughs> Why do you want her back? She cheated on you. He's like, I'm not going to go out and cheat on you just like you did, baby. But that's all right. I love you anyway. <laughs> it's cool. It's cool, boo. You cheated. Just come back to me. Uh, Why does he want yeah. her back? Uh, you know, love, love. Stupid love. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid love. I don't know. This has been bugging me for so long. Even back in the day when I had no experience in anything, certainly not in love, in matters of the heart, <laughs> infidelity, like, nothing. And, and I listen to it. I'm like, uh, really? Michael, what are you doing? Don't you want better for yourself? <laughs> Where's your pride, man? I don't know. And so this video has over 200 million views on YouTube. Wow. It's huge. And so I wanted to read you some of the comments that I thought were just so fantastic and on point for this song. So somebody said, 0% drugs, 0% sex, 0% naked girls, 100% talent. Wow. 
I like that. Okay. And it's true. Okay. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, you know, sexy sex songs aside, yes, this video, <laughs> 100% talent. Okay. So someone else said, back when people actually fight to stay with their partner, letting go of your pride and showing that you care. Well, that's interesting. That's an interesting That's take. one way to look at it. Letting go of your yeah. pride is damn right. I mean, like- <laughs> And dignity. And, and self-respect. Yeah. Yes, yes. Letting go of it all. Someone else said, days when we had a perfect song for every stage of a relationship. Mm. And I thought, you know what? That's really true. If you yes. look at the themes of these songs, it really does show like a relationship arc. Yeah, it tells a story. It, it really does. It does. We're going to get to another track. It was never released as a single, but uh, there is one on there that has, I wouldn't say full circle, but it's actually present today. And that's Simpin. Simpin. Great harmonies in that song too. It's like a, it's high energy. It's a dance song. It is. And I, I had no idea at the time what Simpin meant. Right. Now, does it mean the same thing? Now that it does. Then it did that. Okay. It, it, it really does. And so in uh, present day nomenclature, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you simp on somebody, you, you know, you, you really like them, but you probably like them a little bit too much because now you're, you know, go back to the pride thing. You, you know, you're losing, you're losing yeah, face. Like my son uses that term in a derogatory way. Like, Oh, right. Such a simp. Or right. I was such a simp that one time. I think it could be a little bit of both. Like you could use it uh, in a derogatory way, or you could say, you know what? I'm, I'm totally simping on this. And I didn't know what that meant 30 years ago. Right. And of course, of course now, by the way, I did have to look it up this time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was actually going to ask you because you've talked really openly about the importance of like normalizing male emotion. Yes. Yes. It's almost been a call to action. And so what has that experience been like for you? And then when you're out there and you're telling your followers, it's okay to feel these feelings, what kind of response are you getting? Oh, I'm so pleased with the response. Yeah. Um, because, and and this is not something that I ever let myself, I was never, a, I never let myself be available to have responses like this. Okay. But when you share your story, you invite others to react in a supportive way sure, and you invite them to share their stories. Whereas if you just stay closed off and only share, you know, either part of it or what you think somebody wants to hear or, you know, what you feel like is, you know, traditionally seen as like, uh, polished and Instagram worthy. And, you know, it's, it's the, the PR version or whatever people can, they might not consciously pick up on that, but they will pick up on that and they won't make that type of connection with you that is right. necessary to have an honest back and forth conversation. Well, I mean, in your own words, Aaron, yeah. you know, you're the host of the Aaron Bender podcast. You say everyone has a story. I get them to tell it. So you interview media personalities about their lives and journeys, and you guys hit on some really deep stuff. Oh, there's a huge emphasis on mental health that you've really been very vocal about and the importance of that. You talk about failure, which is huge loss, grief, forgiveness. There's just so much to it. And it's because you've been very open with your own story that people have felt like they have a safe space to share their own. Yeah. in, In the course of a year, I lost my job, my own fault, mind you. Two months later, wife learned that uh, her cancer had returned. <sighs> Two months after that, the pandemic hits. So we're, we're all home. And then eight months after that, my wife loses her fight. So within a year, all of these things happen. And, and you know, we're coming up on, uh, I think you said this is probably going to be released in, in late October. Mm-hmm. A couple of weeks after that is the first anniversary of my wife's passing. Okay. And, you know, so... It really just, it's a slap in the face to be like, Hey dude, what are you worrying about? What do you have to be worried about in terms of controlling outcomes and like, how's this person going to feel about me? Or how's this person going to react when I say this or share this or, or tell them that if I can't control my wife, not getting sick, 
my wife not passing, my daughters not losing their mother at age, you know, six and eight now, what else would I want to control? You know, what, what else would I have to be anxious about? What else would I have to be worried about? You had done some podcasting before. Yes. You obviously have been a radio personality. You've been involved in the media and broadcast culture for so long. But what made you say, you know what, it's time to start the Aaron Bender podcast and start getting really real? Well, it was initially just kind of a way to reintroduce myself because okay. after I lost my job, I just I deleted all social media. I hid. Basically, I was right. so embarrassed. There was so much shame and, you know, going into the holidays and then with my wife's re-diagnosis with the pandemic, I did try to restart the Newsbender, which was the podcast I was doing in 2019 with uh, conversations during the pandemic, like, hey, how are you coping? You know, what? how are you making things work? And that just got to be too much. It just with with everything going on, be like, okay, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go be up here for two hours while I talk with you know people and edit their. No, it just it just didn't fly. Right. So I just put everything away. And you took that time to focus on your family. Yeah, focus on my family. Focus on repairing myself. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's about maybe two or three months after my wife passed, after, after Len passed, I started kind of reaching out to people and be like, Hey, if I, if I start a, if I start a podcast, would you be interested in coming on? And, and I reached out to people I had talked with for the podcast before, mm -hmm. but 2019 seems now like light years ago because of the pandemic. And you've lived a lot yes. of life. Yeah. In that time. Yeah. yeah. So so any conversation I had with anybody two years ago is going to be completely different now. But you're a completely different person. Yes. And so that was that's why I restarted it, uh, just to kind of reconnect with the world, reconnect with myself, and just kind of honestly, just to kind of prove to myself that I could still provide something in this space. You know, that I that I could have conversations, meaningful conversations, not just like, hey, tell me about your career and your life. How many kids do you have? Oh, yeah. When I listen to your episodes, I always come away learning something, which I love. That means a lot. Thank you. You're welcome. It's very true. And I always come away feeling validated because while I can't relate to every experience of all of your guests, I mean, they've I mean, you're talking about like cancer survivors, stroke survivors. You're talking about people who've made big, scary career changes, people who've gotten fired, have had complex family issues, but their vulnerability and their willingness to share. Yeah, yeah. You can take something away from all of that. And I, I actually come away from your podcast feeling a little braver. Thank you. And one of the things, and maybe this is some recency bias in, in terms of the types of conversations I've had in the last few weeks, the idea that our parents, they were kids too, and they had to deal with their parents. And, you know, the, the idea that we all have origin stories, Yeah, like you take with you raising your two sons, the experience, you know, like we talk about here, we, we're going back to high school here talking about these albums and movies and TV shows, but how were our childhoods shaped? And until the last couple of years, you know, I didn't really connect a lot of dots. Uh-huh. And in figuring out my own origin story, now I'm interested in my parents' origin stories and hoping that in doing so, you know, I've got two daughters who are six and eight. I, th I feel like there's still a lot of time to shape their stories and their childhoods and their teenage years to where as they raise their kids 20, 30 years from now, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're not like, Oh, I wish my parents set me up better. You know, I wish, uh, I wish, wish it, obviously they're going to wish that their mom didn't pass away when they were of so course. young, but maybe they won't be saying, Oh, I wish my dad told me more about this, that, or the other, you know, some, I wish my like dad that. told me more about boys to men. You know, I, I, I'm not trying to make light of it, but I have to say, like, you know, we think of pop culture as this like fun, light thing that isn't really, you know, it's it's entertainment. 
But when you think about pop culture, when you really think about how you were raised and what formed you and your ideas and and how you view the world and the memories that you maintain, they almost always connect back to some bit of pop culture. So revisiting pop culture from your youth, sharing pop culture that was meaningful even to your wife with your daughters, it's a piece of history. It's a piece of personal history. And I have found in, in trying to learn more about my parents, leaning in hard to what they were really into growing up and the music that really mattered to them and the films that really spoke to them. It's a piece of them. And I actually get to have that forever long after they're gone. It's really sort of beautiful beautiful, and poetic in its own way, even though it seems, you know, kind of lame to say out loud, but you've lived so much life, Aaron, in the last few years that your vulnerability and your willingness to share and call to action, the importance of male emotion actually really does matter. And even back to the YouTube comments on this video specifically, someone said real men with real emotions, heart, and actually showing that they're human. Showing emotion does not make a man soft. Honesty is what it shows. I think back to this era, the early 90s. You know, I was listening to Boys to Men. I was listening to Diggable Planets. I was listening to Arrested Development. And, you know, I I was really leaning into the R&B, leaning into the hip hop. And a lot of it also was, was listened to late at night in my room, in the dark, maybe a candle or something like that. And I was just... I some of these songs, I would just ball. And I thought at the time, like, oh, I'm just, I'm really in touch with my emotions and this and that. No, it's, I was depressed. I was, I was depressed. So you see that now at the time I you didn't that recognize now. it. For right. That. Mm-hmm. right. Well, I don't know that we really had, we didn't have the words or the space to really reckon with that emotion. I mean, right. I, I think back on the things that I used to do too, Aaron, and I, I see now like, I was a child with anxiety. Same. It manifests itself in in a whole, you know, range of weird ways and and it's still something that I have to manage today. But I didn't know that and our parents weren't really right. attuned to that the way we are now as parents. If I had known then to that I was depressed and that I would you know, let, let's say I tried to vocalize that or something like that. I don't know how it would have been received, number one. And number two, there was such a stigma to that that yeah. I, I probably would have thought, well, I'm not going to hang out with the emo kids. Right. The, you know, the outcasts. You know, I, I had it such in my mind. Like, I, I was a, a band nerd. I I was a nerd, whatever. That was my click. And if I'm going to be depressed, I I need to change, you know, I need to change friends. I need to change. And there was, I need to start listening to Depeche Mode. And the yes. And yes. I need to get some Doc Martens and, and right. go over there with those kids. Right. Yeah. To hear you say that, Aaron, I mean, you were always so vibrant and energetic when I knew you in high school. I did not know that this was like a private struggle for you. And a lot of that Again, this is all looking back and connecting dots. A lot of that was deflecting. Yeah. And because I knew that I could put smiles on people's faces, I could make them laugh, I could make them happy. A lot like stand-up comics, you know, they they get yes. such a rush from that validation. They get such a, a high off of that attention and that adulation that I I did what I could to mask what I was feeling otherwise. That pain. Yeah, yeah, sure. And and again, this is not something that I knew at the time, but definitely connecting dot. And I've said this on a, a podcast recently. I was anxious before birth, you know, and, and I didn't know that. I didn't really feel that until the last few years. And I lived with anxiety all my life until my wife passed away. And I've you know, kind of put into words that my anxiety passed when she did, because what do I have to be anxious about if I can't even control the one thing that would be the most important thing in my life and for my family? Okay. This is going to sound not the way I want it to sound. I don't exactly know how to phrase it, but is that in any way strangely liberating? Yes. Yes. I hope you understand the spirit in which I intend that yeah. question. Yeah. It was either Kathy Trin or Kelly Tennant, but they basically said that 
sometimes people close to us need to lose their lives so that we can gain ours. And it's not, it's, it's not like what you said, something that it's like, okay, I'm sorry. You, you've got to go. Oh no. But, but it's, it's like only after that, do you see the value in your own? In a sort of, I have literally lost everything. Yeah. How do I come back from here? What do I have to be anxious about anymore? The worst has sort of already happened to me. Exactly. And so where do you go from there? I focus on today. I plan and hope for tomorrow mm-hmm. and I give the rest to God. You know, there, there, yeah, there are plans. I've got, you know, trips planned and we're talking about what are we going to do for the holidays and, mm-hmm. and things. But by and large, I am grateful for today and I focus on today and I hope that tomorrow comes and I could do the same. And how has this changed you as a father, as a friend? Oh my gosh. I have never been so present as a father as I have been in the last year and a half, especially since Len passed away because understanding that, yeah, the, the, the girls have my wife's two sisters as their godmothers and one of whom has actually moved in with her family to our house. So we have two families. That's beautiful. In this. It, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And what a gift to your daughters. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't understand what godmother really meant, like the the power of it, the importance of it, the weight of it. Yeah. Until this last year, right? Where one of the sisters literally says, "We're going to move in. Is that okay?" You know, Len was trying to get them to move in, and just the timing was never quite right. Mm-hmm. And once she passed, it was like, you know what? It, it's time. I wish, you know, this is my sister in law talking. It's like I, I wish we did this two years ago, but. Honestly, it just the the timing is what it is. You know, we just we just go with it. Right. And and you know, friend-wise, I don't think you and I would have ever talked prior to this. May you know, the occasional message mm-hmm. on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, but not really like talked. Right. I've hung out with friends more this year than I have in the last 10 to 20 years combined. Mm-hmm. Because I'm again making myself available to be a friend and to to be a person rather than just this image or this you know silhouette of somebody that you might see down in the tunnel in the shadows exactly and i think too when you're so busy and focused on building a career it's very difficult to carve out the time and i think sometimes our priorities get a little wonky oh yeah yeah and i gave into distractions and temptations and it just it was awful And we all do. And I think too, it takes a tragedy of some kind of magnitude to make you stop and say, you know what, what really matters in my life? It's human connection. It's time. And it's, it's that recognition that time is so limited and that it can be gone at any moment. Like true human connection, not, okay, I'm I'm going out with somebody this weekend. We're totally going to connect. Oh yeah. No, no. It's like, no, I, I, I can call my friend, Jake, uh, of the Big Brother Jake podcast. Let's get that out there. Oh, he's so great. He's he's so cool. He has so much spirit and energy. He's great. But I can call him at any time, day or night, and he knows that he can call me and we could just have a heart to heart and whatever's on his mind and whatever's on mine, we just let it out. And at the end, we'd be like, all right, love you, brother. Talk to you later. That's true brotherhood. Yeah. It's just so nice to be able to connect with people on a deeper level. And that's one of the reasons I'm doing this particular podcast because it's so different than the one two years ago because we have meaningful conversations. Oh, I love it. Look at this convo coming I up. I mean, uh, from the, boys uh, to men to like <laughs> male emotion. I Oh, that's interesting right there. I mean, really becoming men is, is leaning yeah. in hard to the whole of yourself as an individual. It's it's not about a gender. Yeah. It's about being a human in the world. In the few minutes we have left, yeah. I do want to touch on the T that is the eventual leaving of base. Also, the idea that boys to men in general, can we curse on the podcast? I've meant of to ask course. you before. Um, I was trying to be respectful of you. I was dialing it back kind of uh entitled arrogant assholes they they turned into 
a real, like just a, a group of divas. If you guys don't know, in 2003, McCary left the group because of an unspecified health condition. And he revealed in 2016 that he has MS. Now he told Yonla's house of healing in 2016, if I had to sum up what I got from my brothers and boys to men, I would have to say betrayal, a broken bond. I mean, at this point, we don't even talk. Yeah, that's not, that's not cool. That's heartbreaking. I mean, these boys with a Z truly grew up together. Their sound, their careers, their brotherhood. I don't understand how something like this happens. When you start to surround yourself, and this is what I feel like happened, when you start to surround yourself with yes people, and also their amount of success, repeated success. It's not as if they were a one hit. Yeah. They had a multi-platinum debut album when, well, let's see. Okay. So that's 1991. I'm just going to go to like one of the members here. I mean, I'm guessing they were like 20. Nate Morris was born 1971. Yeah, 20 years old. 20 years old. And it's one thing to have a one-hit wonder type, you know, like like Shy, for example. Not right. to call them out, but we talked about them earlier. Mm-hmm. If I ever fall in love, mm-hmm. they have that hit. I have no idea anything else they've ever done. Right. You know, but Boys to Men repeated success after success after success. Duets with Mariah Carey. Well, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And, and, and so it's really no, it, it's really kind of a surprise that they lasted. They have lasted as long as they have considering here we are 30 years later and three of the four are still going is really kind of a shock to me. You had mentioned that they had a residency in Las Vegas. I think that ran for something like five years. They're currently touring. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because Sean Stockman went on in 2009 to judge the TV show, The Sing-Off, which is an acapella right, like, singing right. competition show. In 2016, Wanye competed on Dancing with the Stars. He made it to the semifinals. In 2018, Nathan Morris was on the DIY Network show, Hit Properties with Nathan Morris, and where he was flipping houses. So it's funny because to go on their website, you just see the three of them. Yeah. It's like that fourth member never existed. It's as and if I, base was never there. I know. I'm really shocked by that. Writer Patrick Rappa said in a recent profile on the group for Philadelphia Magazine, he said, quote, they still dress to the nines. They still sing for the people and they do it all on their own terms. Still kicking it just for you, but also for themselves. Also for themselves without the carry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and I, I don't think it was in the uh, This Is Pop uh, documentary. It was in one of the other videos I was watching that they asked a, a, a studio executive or an engineer or something like, like, who was the most, one of the most difficult people to work with or uh-huh. groups or whatever. And she immediately, boom, boys to men. Just because. Really? Yeah, yeah. It just in the studio they eventually just got to the point where they're like, and it's Devo better, behavior. Better than yes. That's what you're saying. Yes. You're saying yeah. it, it's better ego. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is unfortunate because again, I wonder if they tried to make new music now, how would it go? Like, how would it sound? I, I'm really curious. Do they still put out new albums? This is something I should have looked at. When was their last release? Their last release was, under the streetlight in 2017, but I, I don't know. Yeah, so they have 13 studio albums listed wow. on their Wikipedia. Wow. But I don't think I bought one after Evolution in 1997. Hmm. Wow. So have you ever seen them in concert? It's funny you mentioned that. I think we did when they were with, I want to say SWV opened up for them. What was SWV's big hit? I'm trying to remember now. I get so weak in the knees, I can hardly speak. Okay, I don't know why that's not ringing any (laughs) bells to me. Was that their big single? Yeah. Oh. They actually still perform. They they did this last weekend, I think, a a concert called R&B Rewind. Oh, cool. I don't know what it is, but the last couple of, uh, yeah, obviously pandemic not included, but the, the last couple of years, 
some of the R&B groups of the 90s, 80s and 90s have started touring together and really just owning like, hey, we had three songs. Here they are. Oh, yeah. I mean, and even bigger acts like new kids go on tour with Debbie Gibson and like, yeah. There's a real resurgence and interest in, you know, retro pop culture that's really huge right now. I mean, I can't think of a better time for the music that I was interested in in high school. Like I would so go to a festival or concert lineup featuring like Skid Row, Warrant. Oh, that would be so cool. Motley Crue, like, yes, bring it all on. Even even the smaller bands like Firehouse. Like, yeah, do it. What? Yes. What? Oh my God, so good. So good. Firehouse. Let's just enjoy it. And now we can have a beer and enjoy it. So it's and even better. And that's why I think, because you're you're catering to an audience who they're, they're in their 40s, maybe some 50s. They have some dollars. They've got some dollars and they've got kids who are either out of the house already or can take care of themselves. Or can come along as an introduction to some oh, really good pop culture. there we go. There we go. I mean, I, I gotta, I gotta bring it back, Aaron. Will you be introducing your girls to Boys to Men at some point? I don't know. Maybe when they're a little older, there's, you know, a lot of sexy sex music. So maybe, yeah, maybe not I yet. think I'll have to find like Motown Philly. I could probably introduce them to that video. Yep. Then maybe I could add it to their kiddos playlist on my uh -huh. phone. Well, I'm sure they would enjoy it. My son, simply in a word, wow. And I can't think of a better word to describe this album. It's a big wow for me. Thank you for this, Lori. Seriously, this I love this little trip. I feel so blessed that you took the time to talk to me. I mean, you are such, you're a big deal, Aaron Bender. Not a big deal. Not a big deal. I'm just me. Even when we were kids, I remember you just had the biggest personality and you were like, I'm Aaron, what A, what R, what O, what N. <laughs> How do you remember that? <laughs> Aaron, the guy with the voice, man. Thank you for coming on to celebrate Voice Men with me. Thank you for choosing it. It was such a fun revisit. Yeah, it was. It was. Thank you, Lori. Love you. Thank you so much. And you guys get to know Aaron Bender. Get to know the Aaron Bender podcast. It's available anywhere and everywhere you get your favorite podcast. He's on Twitter at Aaron Bender. One A, one R, one O, one N. He's on YouTube, the Aaron Bender podcast. He's on Instagram, Aaron Bender. Thank you so much for listening. I'd like to remind you to rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on the web at theuntitledgenxpodcast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at theuntitledgenxpodcast. We hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. Bye. Okay, bye. <laughs>